Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilcha is the laws of Sanhedrin, the courts, the Ha'enshin Hamasudim Lohem, and the punishments handed over for the courts to implement. Pedic Shlosh Osser, chapter 13. Aleph, we learned earlier about the death penalty. Continuing in the laws of the death penalty, Misha Nigmar Diner Lemisa, if somebody was sentenced to death by the court, with all of the complications and challenges of sentencing somebody to death, what if somebody was sentenced to death? It says that if the courts sentence more than one person to death every 70 years, it was considered a murderous court. So they didn't sentence people to death every day. When someone is sentenced to death, they lead him forth from the court. Now we learned earlier that we want the sentence to take place as soon as possible. There is no what we call today in our world death row. Sentenced to death, he dies. Yet, what if late breaking witnesses or information comes in, so there is a court appointed official who stands outside the court door holding flags. That's before they had radios or cell phones. So the mode of communication was with a flag. You wave the flag back and forth. And the fellow sitting on a horse is at a distance where he is taking the person to the arena of death. And as he goes, announcements are made. So-and-so is being taken out to be executed. With this and this death penalty, Al-Sha'ovar, because he transgressed, Aveda plain is this and this transgression, became plainy in this and this place, Bisman plainy in this and this time. And the reason we want to announce this and this place and this and this time is if there was a witness who was in that place at that time, he can come and undo the whole sentence, because this is called Edim Zomim. Uploni, Uploni, Adaf, so and so are his witnesses. And again, if these witnesses were with the other witnesses someplace, then they couldn't have seen what happened. If anybody knows any argument for acquittal, speak now or forever, hold your peace. Let him come and present it. Omar Echad, what if somebody says, wow. What a coincidence. I just got into town. Boy, do I have a defense argument. Yeshli l'lamedol of schus. I have a defense. Zem meinev basutorim. Immediately, the guy holding the flags starts waving the flags so that the rider a distance away sees him. The guy on the horse, I guess, charges with the speed of a horse. And he brings the guy back to the court in order that they can reopen the case for new information. So I, I imagine what it means is that the fellow who's being taken out to execution is much further. 
and you have the flagman, and then you have the rider within visual distance so that the rider can go by signal of the flagman and bring back the sentence man. I believe that's the correct interpretation here. If, in fact, the argument for acquittal is successful, then they acquit him. Because that's what an argument for acquittal is. If the court votes, remember it's a court of 23 judges, they have to vote by majority. So they re-vote based upon the newest evidence. In Laban, if not, if the argument didn't go anywhere, they take him out and kill him. In other words, the death sentence is now implemented. What if he himself said, I have an argument to present to defend myself. I have new information. Even though we're not impressed with his argument, we still bring him back to the court, reopen the case. We want to be sure. We do that the first time he does that. And we do that the second time he does that. Why? Because we're concerned that maybe originally he was intimidated and overwhelmed. Maybe because of fear, his arguments were not ready to be presented. And when he comes back to court, perhaps now he'll calm down and he'll be able to speak words of logic. But if they brought him back to court, they reopened the court, they reopened the case, and there was no substance in his argument for acquittal, in his self-defense, they take him out a third time. What if they're en route to the venue of the death penalty, which we learned earlier was about six kilometers away? And he says, I have a defense argument. Now remember, we brought him back once and twice, and now he has another defense argument. If there's substance, I feel, come upon him, we bring him back again and again and again, because we want to be certain. We actually assign two Torah scholars, because remember we said the first time around, we bring him back because. Second time around, we bring him back because. The third time around, we want to make sure that there's substance, because the first two times there wasn't. So we have two Torah scholars who escort him, so that from the third time and onward, we can test en route to see if there's substance. If there is substance in his argument, we bring him back, we reopen the case, if not, we don't. If they don't find any substantive defense argument for acquittal, then it is the witnesses who kill him with the death penalty prescribed by the court. The witnesses are the ones that observed and testified, so they are the ones that are appointed by the community to actually administer the death penalty whenever possible. 
for some reason the witnesses cannot or do not kill him, then the court has to see to it that he is given the death penalty no matter who it is that actually implements it. Our preference is the witnesses. If not, anybody will do. Under the supervision of the court, we're not talking about vigilante justice here, when we were about 10 cubits, a cubit is about a foot and a half, about 15 feet away from the actual death penalty arena, we tell him, verbally confess, because it is the custom of all those who are taken out to death, where they verbally make a confession, and that way their death acts as atonement for them, and they are able to enjoy a portion of the world to come. So says the Gemara. Then anybody who verbally confesses, that confession acquires for them a portion of the world to come. If he doesn't know what to say, we tell him, Emer, repeat after me, I'll call Avinesai, may my death be atonement for all of my sins. Now there's a big debate. What if he maintains that he's innocent? What if he maintains that he was set up? Still, the law is the law. The law is not perfect. Even if deep down he knows that it is a lie, he was set up. He says the same thing. There are different opinions. One opinion says, that he said, let, let this death penalty be an atonement for all my sins, except the one I've been accused of, because I didn't do it. However, others argue, and the Rambam, I believe, is included in that argument, that if we allow people to say that, everyone will want to be innocent, because it looks good to be innocent. You go to a prison, you visit a prison, prisoner after prisoner, nobody did it. In the whole prison, there could be one guy who's guilty. So we don't want to actually introduce that idea. That's the argument. Beis, the Achashimisvada after the confession is made, We take a granule of frankincense, dissolve it in a cup of strong wine. The combination of the frankincense and the wine gives him a, sort of a, a high. In order that he'll lose control of his cognizance of his mind, he'll become a little drunk, and then he will suffer the death penalty. No one has to be 100% with it, cognizant of what's going on when they suffer the death penalty. It's okay for them to give him some strong wine with some frankincense, which will confuse him and not allow him to feel everything that's going on. Gimel, Zehayayim, Valvena. Now, whose wine should this be? The wine and the frankincense. We are Evan Shiyasaka in the case of the stoning death. And as we continue to study, we'll get into the particular four death penalties. But the stone that's used for stoning, Vasayim, Shiyorik, or the sword that's used for beheading, Vahasuda, Shachenke, Bayanechnak, or the cloth used for strangulation, Vioet, Shateon, Olabanitla. And then the gallows or tree upon which the person who is killed is hung for a short time. Vasudorim and the flag, Shemanifim Bohem, which they are raised, the Pneharuge Bezn, before those who are slain by the court. Vasus and the horse, 
Sherot's Latsile, the fast horse that runs to save him. Hakel, Boin, Mishal Tzibur. All of these come from communal funds. Omisha Yitzel, Yisnadev, whoever wants to contribute. Yavavi, Yisnadev, come and contribute. Dalidain, Bezn, Yitzel, Macharan, The members of the court itself do not go to the death penalty arena. And I believe it's because we don't want people to think that the court is enjoying this. So we keep the court in the court, and here just the executioners go do what they have to do. The whole bezin shahargu nefesh. If a court is the cause of the death penalty being implemented, asurim they are forbidden to eat that entire day. They have to fast. Why would the court have to fast? They did everything properly. There's actually an interesting verse which has a many broad-based interpretations. Do not eat over blood. Do not eat upon the blood. And in chapter 18, we're going to explain various teachings which we learn from this verse. One of them is, if the court caused this man to have his blood spilled, then they should not be eating. Let them at least refrain from eating. When somebody is killed by the court, we do not bring a meal of comfort like in a shiva house. People bring a meal of comfort, usually bagels which are round and eggs which are round. Talk about the cycle of life. Here we do not bring the mourners this special meal. Again, because this is also included in the teaching of don't eat over blood. Here this fellow was killed by the court. And actually, as we're going to learn, there's also a prohibition of mourning because by mourning the relatives show that the death penalty was a tragedy but here if it was administered properly then it was not a tragedy it's a vindication of Torah law the above are forbidden but there's never a penalty of lashes possibly associated with that now comes an interesting law what if the death penalty was passed on the intermediate days of Pesach or Sukkot. The intermediate days are days when work is permitted if it's urgent. So the court may be in session. But although we learn that the court should not eat or drink during the day of the judgment, this would contradict the Torah law that on the festival days, including the intermediate days, we need to eat and drink. So the order should be that the court debates the law, and they do eat, because a Jew has to eat on the intermediate days of Pesach and Sukkot. They can even have some wine, and then towards evening, they stop eating and stop drinking. And then, they issue the verdict as late as possible in the day. Very close to sunset. And then they take him out to be killed. Even though they did eat and drink that day. But the sanctity of the festival, say the commentaries, will keep them on the straight and narrow. When someone is killed by the court, the relatives do not mourn for them. Furthermore, we encourage the executed person's relatives to come and make conversation 
with the witnesses, Veshleim Adayanim and the judges, how are you, and so on, to make a declaration that they are not upset at the judges or the witnesses. Shedin M is Donu, that they ruled a true judgment. Even though, as we learned earlier, there is no formal mourning process, there's no Shiva, for example. But there still is the early period of mourning, which is called Onain or Aninus. The best way to translate the word Onain or Aninus is bereavement. When is the bereavement period? In our world, prior to the funeral. From the time of death to the funeral. Others say the first day. Not seven days, but one day. She'ein aninus ela balev. Aninus is not something that can be stopped because aninus is more of an emotion than anything else. Zayin, okay, now the plot thickens. Mishinik if somebody was sentenced to death and he was being taken out to be killed, and he ran away. He pulled a trick on everybody. He escaped. He was a fugitive. He comes to another court. And he says, hey, you know, I was tried in court and I was sentenced to death, but there's something wrong. As long as we have no reason to, we do not reopen his case. Because running away is not the answer. Whenever there will be two reliable kosher witnesses, it will arise. And they'll say, We testify that this and this runaway fellow, his case has been brought to a closure and he's been sentenced to death. But Plainy and Plainy Adam and so and so are his witnesses. As long as these witnesses are kosher witnesses, he can and should be killed because we don't want murderers running free. When does this apply? If we're talking about a murderer. But other forms of death penalties for other transgressions, which are not murder, for example, idolatry or other transgressions which could have a death penalty associated. We wait until the first original witnesses show up. And they should testify that, he's been, that his case has been adjudicated properly and he has been sentenced, and the witnesses should be the ones to implement the death penalty. Provided that the second court is a court of 23 as well, because it's a capital issue. You can't come to a court of three and talk about death penalty issues. What if What if the court case had been adjudicated and sentenced and the sentence has been passed down in a diaspora court, in a court outside of Israel, the fellow ran to a court in Israel, well, that's a higher court. Then the very least we can do for him is retry the case before the court in Israel. But if the same court moved from the diaspora to Israel, we don't have to retry the case. Even though the sentence was passed last time around, it's in the diaspora. And now they are the Eretz Yisrael in the land of Israel. End of chapter 13.